Good morning, everybody. Like Mandy said, my name is Gino Allison. I'm one of the pastors here, and I want to welcome you all to the South Suburban Vineyard Church. Special welcome to those of you who might be visiting with us for the very first time. It's so good to see new faces. And as always, thank you to those of you who are watching us uh, either live or on demand uh, via our live streams. We're happy to have you watching us as well. A few things before I get into the message this morning. One is that, maybe you didn't know this, but we have what we call the nursing mom's room and a parent lounge just outside this door at the end of this hallway. And historically, we haven't had air conditioning in that room. <laughs> and as that particular demographic that would need that room has grown, I walked back there, there's like eight, nine people in there fanning themselves. Well, I'm pleased to announce we have an air conditioner installed in that room. And so if you've decided you're never setting foot in there again, you might want to rethink that because it's... You can cool meat in there now, all right? I also want to just say that it is our tradition to uh, say a welcome to new members. And so the SSV is growing, and we're always adding new members. And so I just want to say hello to Allison Stabos and Morris and Janae Poole. Where are you guys at? If you're in here, just wave at us. All right, Poole's over there, and Allison's back there, look, serving with uh, hospitality. So thank you so much for engaging here. We know you have so many options. You probably passed a dozen churches just to get here. And so we don't take it lightly. And so we want to welcome, once again, welcome our new members. Everybody. Well, let me get into the word today. I have the privilege of continuing a teaching series that I started a couple weeks ago, a series that we're simply calling One Anothering. And it's based off a phrase that shows up a whole lot in scripture. And many of the times that it shows up, it's, these occurrences are aimed at helping us to teach us how to relate to one another. And oftentimes it's teaching us how not to re relate to one another. And so there's just loads and loads of phrases and instruction and wisdom in the scripture that help us to figure out how we're supposed to relate to one another. And so it's not hard to see that the scripture have a high regard for relationships and how we engage the other humans in our lives. And of course, as I've said week after week, that it centers the greatest commandments, which of course is to love God. And in loving God, we also love people or love one another. And I'm grateful uh, that the scriptures don't leave us hanging when it comes to how to figure this out. And so this series is specifically designed to deal with one of the most significant aspects of our life, particularly our Christian life, it is that is how we relate to and engage other people. We began this series in week one talking about the importance of self-awareness. We continued last week by talking about how to respond well when others fail around us. And today I want to continue this series by focusing on the subject of love. And I don't mean love in the abstract realm, but I mean what does it really, really mean to love people, right? What does it really, really mean for love to dictate how we live our life, and how we interact with the other humans. I'll tell you that one of my main jobs as a preacher, especially in this context, is to try to find creative, new, and interesting ways to say the same thing over and over, and that is love God and love people. I'm trying to consistently find new ways to get this whole concept of love from our heads uh, down to our hearts. And the harder job is what follows is to try to get this concept of love from our hearts down to our legs where we actually walk it out and live it out 
because I found that love is meaningless if it is not felt. Love is meaningless unless it is actually experienced by the person who is the object of that love. And so I'm always trying to figure out how can I say this differently so they don't get tired of it, so they don't roll out their eyes when I say love God and love people. I'm trying to be engaging, but the tritest things happen to be the truest things. Love is the center of the Christian life. And I'm continuing this series this morning with a message that I'm simply calling Love in Action. Love in Action. I'm going to be looking at a passage of scripture in Luke chapter 10, starting at verse 25. Would you meet me there in your Bibles this morning? Luke chapter 10, starting at verse 25. And some of you go, man, that, that sounds familiar. If it sounds familiar, that's because it is really familiar, particularly if you've been hanging around church and going to Sunday schools. This is the story of the Good Samaritan, and it is my custom, it's my practice to challenge you when we engage a familiar text, not to think that you know all there is to know about that text, not to get too common with it, because it is, after all, what, the living word, and there are things, there's a a way about the scripture that can have something you've read your whole life come alive in a fresh new way each time you engage it, and so don't lean back today, instead lean forward, because God has something for us. Luke chapter 10 Starting at verse 25, we're talking about love and action as we continue this relationship series while you find that in your Bibles. Let me pray. Holy Spirit, we, we, we welcome you in this place tonight. My posture is that you would come and show us what we haven't seen yet. Remind us of what we've forgotten. Help us to see ourselves through the mirror of Scripture, knowing that there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ, but there is conviction. Would you shake us this morning? Would you stir us this morning? Would you move us from a place of complacency and inaction? May you have our full attention this morning. Put power on these words you've given me to speak. Father, would you move the preacher out of the way so that your truth and your life might shine through? We ask all these things in Jesus' precious name and all God's people said, amen. Luke chapter 10, I'm going to start at verse 25 after I take a drink. Reads this way, one day an expert in religious law stood up to test Jesus by asking him this question, teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus replied, what does the law of Moses say? How do you read it? The man answered, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, and all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Right, Jesus told him, do this and you will live. The man wanted to justify his actions, so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Jesus replied with a story. A Jewish man was traveling from Jerusalem down to Jericho, and he was attacked by bandits. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him up, and left him half dead beside the road. By chance, a priest came along, but when he saw the man lying there, he crossed to the other side of the road and passed him by. A temple assistant walked over and looked at him lying there, but he also passed by on the other side. Then a despised Samaritan came along, and when he saw the man, he felt compassion for him. That's important. Going over to him, the Samaritan soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine and bandaged them. Then he put the man on his own donkey and took him to an inn where he took care of him. The next day, he handed the innkeeper two silver coins, telling him, take care of this man. If his bill runs higher than this, I'll pay you the next time I'm here. Now, which of these three would you say was a neighbor to the man who was attacked by bandits, Jesus asked. 
The man replied, the one who showed him mercy. Then Jesus says, yes, now go and do the same. This is the word of the Lord. Now, this is a really important passage. They all are, but this is especially important because it gets at the thing that we're always talking about, and that is love. It's a familiar passage, but it's familiar for a very good reason because there's a whole lot in here for us to walk away with. Jesus, the master storyteller, crafts the perfect story in response to a loaded question that was aimed his way. Verse 25 says, an expert, I'm always concerned with the experts because they're the only people who ever gave Jesus trouble. An expert in religious law stood up to test Jesus, asking him this question, what should I do to inherit eternal life? And I imagine the disciples around them going, man, dude, just walk away. Walk away. You don't want any of this smoke. But before, before, they, before they could warn him, Jesus had engaged the man. What does the law of Moses say? And of course, this guy is an expert in the religious law. And so he fires off not just an answer, but the correct answer. Love God and love people. But it says here in verse 29 that the man wanted to justify his actions, so he asked another question. He couldn't leave well enough alone, and Jesus is about to hit him right between his eyes, and he packs his guy's lunch for him. And in response to this great question that was floated with probably not the best of motives, Jesus provides for him this story. And in this story, he provides for us a discourse that we can stuff our pockets with and take with us wherever we go. I love this text because the application is wide, and it's also an absolute game changer for those who are serious about the Christian faith. It's something that you can choose to ignore, but you can never unhear or unknow what Jesus plates for us in this story. And there are three things that I see in this text that I want to pull out as I talk about the importance of love and action, especially in the context of our relationship together. Three things that I'll try to quickly run through. The first thing I see here is that love responds well to need. Uh, love responds well to need. Love just doesn't respond, but it responds well when there is a need in front of it. The striking things about needs is that they are terribly inconvenient. Does anybody know that to be true? <laughs> this is especially true when it comes to other people's needs that land on us awkwardly. Needs of others, don't consult with your calendar and say, listen, uh, does this work with your schedule? That the cancer will come back? Like, does this window work? You're not away on vacation, are you? Um, needs don't consult with your paycheck schedule, <laughs> you know, so we can line this thing up when you're actually going to have enough to share. Needs don't try to line up with your sleep schedule. They, 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 they're often very inconsiderate <laughs> and requires those that will respond well to be interruptible, which is one of my favorite Christian words, to be interruptible. And to entertain these needs and to move toward these needs often with little or no notice whatsoever we're talking about need. Love responds to need. And what's the need here in this passage? Verse 30 says, a Jewish man was traveling from Jerusalem down to Jericho and he was attacked by bandits. 
stripped him of his clothes, they beat him up, and they left him half dead beside the road. Now, the hearers of this story would be familiar with this road. They would be familiar with the perils of, of engaging this road. Just like in the neighborhood that you grew up in, you knew what streets not to be on at certain times, right? And so this wouldn't have been news that on this particular road, that would have been a man who had fallen into the hands of bandits. The listeners and the hearers wouldn't have been surprised that this road, this dangerous road, had claimed yet another victim and this victim just happens to be a Jewish man, attacked, beaten, stripped, humiliated, and left for dead, a candidate for love and neighborliness because he has ultimately a need, several needs. And we see also our unlikely hero, this Samaritan man. And so Jesus points out this kingdom neighborliness as we see it centers this man's pressing need. And Jesus chooses to make this point by using an extreme example, because in using an extreme example, we can apply the extreme application to all of the lesser examples. And so Jesus was known to point out just who was this man's neighbor. And my mom used to say all the time, everybody ain't your friend. Everybody don't love you. And we would say, mom, well, how do we figure out in life then? who our real friends are. How do we figure out, mama, who really loves us? And she would say, just get in trouble. <laughs> just get in trouble. And you, because it's hard to find out, right, who your real friends are, are when like, when you got a pocket full of money and you're picking up the tab and you're renting the party bus. It's, it's hard to figure out just who's in your corner. Mama used to say, just get in trouble and you'll find out. If you want to really know, get in trouble and, and stay in trouble for a while, and you'll see. You want to figure out who loves you, and get sick, and stay sick for a while, and you'll begin to see. Go broke and stay broke for a protracted period of time, and you will quickly discover who the first responders are. This lesson on neighborliness seems to follow the same course. It centers need. And I think this may have a broader application than we might think. I think we might be wired to see needs as, okay, your cupboards are bare, let me get you some food. Your pockets are empty, let, 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 let me give you some money. Your gas tank is empty, let me fill you up. Those needs certainly uh, include those, but they shouldn't be limited to that because the longer I live, the longer I pastor, the longer I lead, the more I see need as more than material. There are social needs. There are Emotional needs, there are relational needs, there are cultural needs, and sometimes needs have nothing to do with money. Sometimes you're just a difficult person. Or sometimes you're just in a difficult season of life. Sometimes just how life has landed on you or how you were socially formed causes you to land awkwardly on the world around you. And sometimes your need has to do nothing with money, but you just need some folks to move towards you with their time. 
and move towards you with their attention and move towards you with some good old-fashioned Christian long-suffering sometimes needs have nothing to do with money and yet our love is demonstrated by how we respond to, to needs. Second thing I see in this story is that love takes risks. Love takes risks. Now this road to Jericho was known as a dangerous route. People walking would see somebody laying there and might think maybe he's in on it. This is a trick. They think they're slick. He's in on it. And so in order to avoid risk or falling into this trap yourself or slowing down and becoming a victim yourself, there's loads and loads of things to watch out for. Verse 31 says, a priest came along. You might think, certainly the preacher's going to help out. The preacher does not help out. Then a temple assistant or a worship leader, somebody employed by the church comes by, and maybe you think, surely, maybe the priest had to get somewhere. Maybe the service is about to start. Maybe he's got an appointment he's going to. Surely the worship leader will stop. He doesn't stop either. Now, can I just say that I don't think that Jesus is setting these guys up as the villains in the story. The villains are the bandits. But he are using these religious men to compare and contrast against the real hero, which is the Samaritan man, a despised Samaritan. Y'all know Jews and Samaritans, they get along, right? They didn't just have a little bit of beef. They hated each other. They despised each other. They had no dealings. And Jesus sets forth, as the unlikely hero in this story, a despised Samaritan man. And the scripture says, when he saw the man, I highlighted that on my paper, when he saw the man, he felt compassion for him. When he saw him, now is this meant to imply that the others didn't see him? They probably saw him with their eyes. They probably looked up on this man, but they didn't see a man in need of help. They saw somebody to avoid. And this Samaritan man, uh, our unlikely hero, had to press past some really good reasons not to stop. Reasons that might include that this is a dangerous road. I might be walking into a, a trick or a trap. That there are racial, cultural, and social reasons why I should not engage. There are great risks and even the most religious folks for miles implicitly gave themselves permission to totally ignore this man and his need. The closer I look at this text, I see that real love will have you taking risks in relationships. Now this is important because some of us have the never again sort of outlook on life. Maybe you've been wounded, or maybe you've been taken advantage of, or maybe somebody hurt you, and you said to yourself, that will never happen to me ever again. Some of you, this is where you live. And the world around you might pat you on your back and think it wise. They might think it prudent that you're, you know, practicing some self-care, that you're setting up boundaries. But the, but the more I interact with the scripture, the more I interact with the life of Jesus, 
and the sacrificial, risky nature of love, the more I discover that real love exposes you to the possibility, even the likelihood, of being taken advantage of. We don't want to hear that. You see, real love exposes you to the possibility, and dare I say, the likelihood that you might be taken advantage of. Real love exposes you to the possibility and even the likelihood that you might be exploited. Real love exposes you to the possibility and the even likelihood that you may have to put yourself in a position where you are vulnerable. And even as I say it, I know there's a rub because I grew up on the South Side. And if you didn't have your wits about you, you were going to be on somebody's T-shirt. On a billboard, they will be, you know, talking about you as someone who fell victim to some type of scheme or even worse, some type of danger. And the street smarts that you accumulate living certain places tell you, be risk averse. If it looks funny, run. If it sounds too slick, it probably is. And so the sacrificial overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love that we're called to, uh, to, to, to this broadcast indiscriminately cuts, cuts against our own self-interest. Cuts against even uh, uh, conventional wisdom that might move us toward what we might think is prudent and wise. And some of us have managed to extract all of the risk out of being a Christian and therefore extracting all the risk out of the riskiest thing that there is, and that is Christian love. Maybe you've been, you've seen that model for you. Maybe you were raised that way. Maybe in being wounded and taken advantage of and exploited, you came out on the other end saying, never again. But I, any serious follower of Jesus has to do business with this text and wrestle it to the ground and, and ask oneself, what, what might it look like for me to engage in the risky business of Christian love because love takes risk, because faith requires risks. In fact, in the vineyard, we're, we're prone to say that faith is spelled R-I-S-K, that you can't extract risk out of faith, and so you can't extract risk from Christian love. He moved toward the danger, moved toward the risk. Third thing I see in this text is love is moved with compassion. Love is moved with compassion. Now, this is really important because I heard a preacher say years ago that compassion and mercy are the oil of the kingdom of God. That's a great word picture, isn't it? Compassion and mercy are the oil of the kingdom of God. Think about uh, our lives and our relationships as an engine. And think of what might happen to an engine if it doesn't get the requisite oil. It will seize up and it will be useless. And so compassion and mercy is the oil of the kingdom. Compassion, sympathetic pity and concern for the suffering and the misfortune of others. 
and that compassion produces an empathetic response that imagines yourself in that same position. And if you want to drill down deeper, it imagines what you might want somebody to do for you if you were in the same sort of trouble. This is compassion. It triggers an empathetic response that might have you imagining yourself in that same predicament. And some of us do this well, some of us do this naturally, and some of us don't. I see it in my own kids. Some of my kids are just, they're just naturally empathetic. They just hurt and ache when others ache. And others, their brother can be dangling over a, a whole box of knives, and they just be like, well, sucks to be you. No, compassion says, my, what might I want somebody to do? How might I want somebody to move toward me if I were in the same predicament? Compassion moves us toward the risk, toward the need. We see this with Jesus. Scripture tells us that Jesus saw people harassed and helpless like a sheep without a shepherd and in love and risky, reckless love, he moves toward them, not away from them. Examine all of the healing stories where somebody limps to Jesus or crawls toward Jesus and asks for a miracle, asks for relief from their suffering many times and say, it would, in Jesus, what? Moved with compassion, he, he touched them. Moved by compassion, he healed them. And I see a similar action in this text. Verse 34, going over to him, the Samaritan soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine and bandaged them. Then he put the man on his own donkey and took him to an inn where he took care of him. The next day he handed the innkeeper two silver coins. Take care of this man. If his bill run higher, I'll pay him. Now I went through in my notes and I highlighted all the verbs, all of the action. All of the steps, what considerable effort it took this man to press past not just his intellectual objections, but how much action and how much movement, how many verbs were involved in his compassionate response, going over, soothed wounds, bandaged wounds, put the man on his donkey, took him, took care of him, paid them. That's a lot of verbs. That's a lot of verbs pointing in somebody else's direction. This is love. And let me tell you something. Don't speak of your compassion if it doesn't move you in the direction you weren't already heading in anyway. I told you needs are inconsiderate. They're costly. Troublesome little buggers, aren't they? And they often cause you to change your trajectory. And so don't talk to me about compassion. Don't talk to me about mercy unless it's carrying you into a path that you weren't planning to, do, to go. My guess is that wherever this brother was going, he was late because he's interruptible. The need caused him to be interruptible. His compassion caused him to be interruptible, and he was moved in the direction of the need. His compassion moved him toward the victim, toward the trouble, toward the risk, 
toward considerable personal expense. Is this landing on anybody today? And you might be asking, if you're interacting with this well, you might be asking, how do I normally respond when there's a need to swallow and digest it in front of me? How do I normally respond? Has that Romans 12 transformational work in me? Has it done anything uh, to, to my empathetic response? Has it calibrated my compassion such that I'm interruptible? Has it calibrated my eyes to see what I would have missed before in the lives of those who are close to me and strangers alike? One of my favorite verses in this text is verse 35. The next day he handed the innkeeper two silver coins, telling him, take care of this man. His bill runs higher than this. I'll pay you next time I'm here. It's striking to me how this man had done, he'd done plenty, right? But to put this in the modern day context, he would have propped his credit card on the counter and said, won't you keep this on file in case there are any incidentals? in case the silver coins that I provided aren't sufficient to see this man through what he needs, I'm going to make a commitment to his ongoing care. This is, as one preacher put it, graduate level love. And if you're like me, you're like, man, I don't really love like that. Give me the remedial. What's the remedial love? Like, I think we're going to hit that in a couple of weeks, but this, this is the graduate level stuff. Yeah, you got to reach for this. You got to get up out of your easy chair to, to this. You got you to stretch. You got to ascend to this. This is graduate level love. Moves toward needs, takes the risks, moved with compassion. And I wonder if you might ask yourself, who, who is God moving you toward? Now, some of us, we get wacky with this, and we're just thinking, I got starving kids in Africa. I got to book my trip, and I got to get my flight, and I got to race this. Hold on a second, mate. Wait. wait. Don't, don't step over to people in your house to go to Africa. You know, don't step over your kids to go to the Congo. Who is God challenging you to move toward? There are knees under your roof. And I'm not just talking about material. There's a son who needs encouragement, hasn't heard a kind word from you since, you know, 2021. There's a wife who's starved for some type of care from you and like you got a kind word for everybody else, but you don't see her need. There's a husband who feels he can't do any, anything right and that he's a total screw up and, and what he needs or what that child needs or what that spouse needs or what that friend needs or what your employer needs or what your employee needs is just not money. They don't need money probably. They need us to just put into action some of that self-awareness that we talked about two weeks ago. 
and some of that long suffering and forgiveness that we talked about last week. That we would get out of our own heads and get out of our own way and ask the Spirit, what, what am I not seeing? What does this person need from me? How can I be your hands and feet? Who is God moving you toward? But let me also say the need may be material. It may be a, a need that's within your power to, to alleviate or some suffering that's within your reach and within your power to deal with. Who is God moving you towards? As we put this all together, Jesus asks, now which of these three would you say was a neighbor to the man who was attacked by bandits? The man replied, the one who showed him mercy. Then Jesus says, go and do the same. He's talking to us. And I think what Jesus might be getting at is how we look at people, how we see the world. Our outlook on the people in our lives really matters. It makes all the difference. Because to the thieves, this traveling Jew was a victim to exploit, so they attacked him. To the priests and the Levite, he was a nuisance to avoid, a risk to avoid, and so they ignored him. But to the Samaritan, the hero of our story, he was a neighbor to love, a neighbor to help. So he moved toward him and took care of him at great cost, at great personal expense. He took great risk. There were even great social costs to this. Love responds to need. Love takes risk. Worship team, you can come up. And love is moved to compassion. Now, any good preacher, any good preacher, any decent preacher is going to tie this to the gospel, right? I'm not going to miss my moment. I'm not going to miss my moment. I told you last week that everything we are asked to do, everything we're commanded to do is what? In response to what's been given to us, to what God has done for us. And can you see traces of the reckless love of Jesus? Can you see? Our need, we were breathing to death, eyeball deep in our own sin, hairline deep in a debt that we could never repay. And God, with his compassion, moves toward us, toward our need, toward our sickness, pays the cost, moves with compassion, and while we were still in our sin, he sent Christ to die for us. Right? And all the Lord is asking us to do is to pay forward that love and that hope and that help that we've been given. That's all he's asking us to do. But if it were easy, I wouldn't be preaching this message, would I? If it were easy, we'd all be doing it already, and just statistically, probably most of us aren't here. You know how I know? Because I'm not there, and I get paid to be there. You understand what I'm saying? And so if you're feeling icky and condemned, might I remind you that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. But if you're feeling convicted, 
which is a tool of precision that the Lord uses to get us right, to put his finger precisely on that which we need to work on. No doubt the Spirit is, through his kindness, whispering names and scenarios, providing pictures of people that you might need to move toward, giving you his eyes to see that which you might have ignored, healing hurts so that that never again can shift to, Lord, may I never not see a meetable need and ignore it. You might ask the Spirit to put the same heart in you that was in Christ Jesus, that our compassionate response would be that which the Lord will look at and smile. Love is a verb, and may we put our love into action. Why don't you stand with me if you can so that we can pray? Holy Spirit, rest on your people this morning. God, may we not experience you as somebody who condemns us, somebody who wags a disapproving finger, but a gentle Savior that is doing the corrective work of helping us by the power of the Spirit see what we don't see. Helping us to remember what we've forgotten. And that is that we were a mess until you found us. And that is that we were not for the people who have moved toward us and our need. We wouldn't be standing here today. That we are well because somebody took a risk, because somebody moved toward our need, because somebody had compassion and mercy on us, Lord. May we never forget. build our life on your love and may the outworking of that life Lord be love and compassion toward those in your need come Holy Spirit as we sing this song as we worship you would you continue to tilt the soil of our heart so that we might be your hands and feet come Lord Jesus Amen I just feel like they need to clarify something um grand scheme of relationships and loving and taking risks um, there are real abusers and real exploiters and so um, I don't my intention is to paint this rosy picture that all the wolves have gone and they become sheep right um, so there will be we will need to ask the Lord for wisdom how to engage people and how to deal with things and situations particularly people have display the pattern of abuse and the pattern of exploitation. I just felt like I needed to come and clarify that. And I also felt like I needed to say some of you are in relationship with people that you are bound to and that you need wisdom to figure out how to love them and how to take risk and how to move in the love of Christ without providing significant opportunity to be abused or injured again. And so I just wanted to clarify that and also just say that um, you can also receive prayer today if you need wisdom or healing or hope. I didn't just want to leave that hanging in the air, so sorry, Lord.